Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Hey friends, it's Catherine. It's me solo again. It's my own fault this time. I just forgot to reach out to Christy and it's like three o'clock on Tuesday and I want to get the podcast into our editor. Uh, So she has some time off over the holiday weekend. And I also am taking from tomorrow on off until I'll be back at work on Monday. So we cannot get the reputation of being delinquent podcast hosts again, so I felt like I had to go ahead and get this intro out. Christy's still uh, enjoying Patagonia. They're getting their gravel house ready down there and um, are having Thanksgiving down there, and I think they're heading back up to Kansas. And we'll be recording. I'm pretty excited. We've got a few episodes in the can still, but then we're going to be recording um, an end of the year, kind of look back at gravel in 2022. So if you have any things that you want us to discuss on that podcast, we have some very exciting special guests for that. Um, And I'm really, um, I'm excited about that episode and for that conversation. So send me, Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, at girlsgonegravel.com if you have thoughts or if you have things that you want us to talk to, uh, talk about, about what happened in gravel in 2022. Um, We'll be chatting about those things on the podcast. And then... Yeah, the end of the year is coming real fast. I know that everybody is feeling that. Um, Since I'm here solo, I did want to just remind everybody that tickets to the Gravel Festival are on sale, and they're going quite fast. So we've already gone through a third of our tickets that we've sold. Um, We have been having, Amy Ross and I have been having just tons of calls with people that want to be a part of offering clinics with sponsors that are interested in coming on board, working on some of our rides this year. I'm working on some um, unique and different rides. So we'll obviously have options to go out and ride, but we're working on some themed rides as well. So, and by themed rides, I don't mean like you're dressing in costumes, although that could be fun too, but more like maybe that we would have a photography ride where everybody's working on photography skills or some things like that. So if you have ideas for those, you can also email me at Catherine at girlsgonegravel.com. 
Um, anyway, I hope everybody has had a fantastic Thanksgiving break. I just, I know I said this in the last recording, but I am so thankful for this community. I'm thankful for the way that uh, you show up for each other and the way that um, you just <laughs> listen to Christy and I babble each week on the podcast and the way that you um, support each other and the community. So anyway, I am going to stop talking and I'm going to let you enjoy this week's episode. Oh, I forgot to introduce our guest. So I'm super excited about this guest, somebody that I've wanted to have on for a long time. It actually took us quite a while to get her on because of scheduling um, conflicts, but it is Rachel Olzer. So you might know her. She has done a lot in the mountain biking space. She also does some gravel events. She lives in Bentonville, so there's a good strong chance that you're going to be seeing her at the Gravel Festival. Um, She um, is the executive director of All Bikes Welcome and Grit Mountain Bike Festival and the co-founder of Pedal to the People. So we have a great conversation about gravel, about where things are going, about equity in the outdoors. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Rachel Olzer. I am the only one that does not have a happy hour beverage and it's making me a little sad. <laughs> I feel like you have permission to get a, a happy hour beverage. If that's what you need. <laughs> I'll just like get up in the middle of the podcast recording. Like I'm out. I'm going to get my happy hour beverage. <laughs> happy hour beverage. It's it's five o'clock for both of you. It's three o'clock for me. So it's five o'clock and it feels like Friday. Oh God. It does. Can I say that? Like I, I don't yeah. know why, but I have been off all week. Like each day I'm like on Wednesday, I thought it was Thursday, Tuesday. Well, you get the point. It's because we, we worked all last weekend. I guess that's true. I guess anyway, true. we have Rachel Ozer. Who, did I say it right? Damn it. Yep. You did great. You okay. did great. Um, then I was, I want to put an extra letter in it. Um, but which is kind of funny because we were all in Bentonville and you live in Bentonville now, but we're recording this virtually <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> I know. I keep hearing all these people that were here and I was, but I was also out of town for like a month. So I may oh. have not been around. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, where were you for a month? Oh, I was, I was a lot of places, mostly Western North Carolina. I was like in a couple different places there. And then, um, I came back here, but then I had a friend's wedding that was out of town in Arkansas, but just not in Bentonville. That's right. There's other parts of Arkansas, not just Bentonville. <laughs> uh, you know, contrary to what they might have to believe, <laughs> there's a whole statement to this. <laughs> yes, I need to come down to Arkansas and enjoy a different area. Um, one of the one of the folks on the Lifetime team that was there with me. Um, was really impressed on how I could drive around Bentonville. I'm like, I this is I come here all the time, <laughs> and it's a, it's basically a grid. <laughs> yeah, that's true. yeah, that's true. exactly. Uh, but you haven't been in Bentonville that long, right, Rachel? You moved there from Minnesota. Yeah, uh, yeah, from Minneapolis. I've been here since January. I literally um, moved over. New Year's weekend. And it was so funny because everything that could have gone wrong went wrong when I was moving. And it was, it was a nightmare and (laughs) it was really cold. And so as you can imagine, like Minneapolis is ridiculously cold in the winter. And I felt like it was, 
you know, Minnesota was like, kind of like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Like it was kind of this great like parting gift of, of, you know, being cold and being stuck and my car wouldn't start. So anyway, I was like, when I finally got to Arkansas, I was like, okay, let me breathe. And I could, cause it was actually really nice here. So. <laughs> yeah. When they have one of those Southern snowstorms, you're like, guys, this is nothing. <laughs> It's really, I really have to tone it, like tone it down because people will be like freezing, like convinced, like they'll be like, I'm so cold right now. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, it's chilly. Like, (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, like let let me like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little bit chilly. Like, you should put a jacket on. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, okay, well, tell us your story. We always like to start uh, with hearing how you got into bikes and yeah, kind of give us the backstory of Rachel. Yeah, um, well, I grew up, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, which I always, when I was in my 20s, people would always, you know, when I was at college, it was like, whoa, what's that like? And I was always like, oh, it's like growing up anywhere. But now that I'm a bit older, I realize it's actually not like growing up everywhere. Um, it's there are some there are some oddities um specifically like i remember i never saw a movie theater that was like not in a casino until i went to college and i remember thinking that was really weird um like it was just a weird it was like oh a whole building for movies like i guess that's cool um and then when i uh so i grew up like skateboarding i was kind of like one of those kids um my dad is from LA so he was like kind of part of that like skateboarding culture that was coming up in the like 70s and 80s or 60s and 70s more like and then um I went to college went away to college pretty typical story um went to college in Arizona and that's I started biking like end of high school and like got really into like biking and long bike rides and bike racing in college um, and took to like mountain biking pretty heavily. Um, I mean, Arizona is just like a really great place to do all types of outdoor sports, but especially mountain biking. Um, And then I, when I um, finished college, I had some time off. And then when I went away to grad school, that's when I moved to Minnesota and that's when I really, I would say, like, dove into cycling being my main thing um, and specifically starting to get more into endurance um, mountain bike racing. Um, and I I don't know. The rest is history, I guess. <laughs> what what drew you into the mountain biking when you were in Arizona? Was it friends? Or- yeah. it. Well, at the time, I was really into rock climbing and just being outdoors. I was, at one point, the president of our outdoor club. And so to me, like mountain biking is that kind of like, you know, uh, cross section of outdoors and cycling, like it kind of captures both audiences. Um, And I think I was more um, drawn to it from the like outdoors world um, and being more outdoorsy, whatever you want to say that is. Um, And I don't know. And I guess just not being like around a lot of people <laughs> was probably a big part of it uh admittedly although you know that's changed since then but 
Yeah, I don't know. And like the first mountain bike I rode was really sketchy because it was like my boyfriend at the time. He lent me a mountain bike that was an extra large. I'm five one. Oh my god! Yeah, it was terrifying. Um, and I'm honestly looking back. I feel very proud of my former self for trying it ever again. Yeah, <laughs> because that was a terrifying experience. Um, but then, yeah, I built up this bike that was an old um, hybrid that I put like 29er wheels on. And that was my mountain bike for a long time. And it rocked. Like it was, I got, it really forced me to get really skillful because it did not, it was not a mountain bike. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm always trying to figure out what was it that kind of kept me going. Because I sucked for like a really long time. <laughs> like really bad. There were mountain biking. Yeah, like I don't know. I but I'm proud of myself and I yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> is that still your main discipline? Is the mountain bike? Yeah, for sure. I think I'll it probably always will be. Um I just love it. And I love that there's a lot of ways to mountain bike, you know, and whenever I feel like I'm getting really hung up on a specific dis discipline it's so easy to just try a different discipline for a bit you know it's like if i'm feeling really bad about you know how well i'm riding as an xc rider then maybe i'll go to you know a lift park for a bit and just work on technique instead of working on like fitness for a while or i don't know you know it just feels like there's a lot of skill to be gained and a lot of ways to do it. And I love that part of it. Well, and we just saw it really benefits gravel, right? Because basically all the Grand Prix winners were mountain bikers <laughs> on the Lifetime Series. Uh, but you've done some gravel races, right? I'm seeing them on your Instagram account. Yeah, yeah. I think I've done most of the big ones except for, well, I don't know, probably not most of the big ones now, but yeah, I've done quite a bit of gravel racing. Um, I like it. Okay. I, I feel kind of bad because this is a gravel audience, but no, um, a lot of crossover. Yeah. I feel like I, 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 I love riding gravel. I don't know if I love racing gravel, even though I love racing mountain bikes, but I, I did it because my friends are doing it and I wanted to hang out with them and it's a great way to meet people and, you know, see some really, I think really beautiful and unique parts of the U S like places you wouldn't necessarily get to see, not the kind of typical, like, you know, all the stuff you see in adventure magazines is so mountain centric. Right. And like, but there's a lot of beautiful parts of the country that don't have mountains, but are like gorgeous places to ride in. Um, so I really love that aspect. I think I admittedly struggle riding drop bar bikes. I have a lot of pain in my hip and that started from bike racing. Like I think take care of your body when you're young and that's something I wish I could go back and <laughs> tell my former self. But I, I just have a lot of pain when I ride a, a gravel bike. And so, yeah, I don't know. Gravel racing is kind of like, I have a, like a contentious relationship with it. Yeah. I think you brought up a really good point. Like, you know, I've, I've said in the past, the cool thing I think about going to a gravel race is whoever's put that course together thinks they have something really special usually. 
And it's a cool way to kind of see parts of the country like you're talking about that you wouldn't typically see. And like the racing aspect of it, it's a great way to spend a day on the bike with your friends. And, you know, if you're not worried about a podium, which I think 98% of the people are not worried about a podium, you know? Um, Yeah. At least that's my perspective. I don't know. Yeah. And especially like, I think, well, I wasn't super into gravel racing until I moved to Minnesota and that, you know, like the Midwest is like, I would consider that probably the birthplace of gravel racing. Like that's what's there. And it, I think in general, the Midwest has given me a new like appreciation for what, you know, how a place can offer beauty in ways that you're just not used to experiencing. Um, And I think in general, that's one of the cool things about gravel racing is that a lot of the like big, cool gravel races are like Midwestern focused. And I just think that's a really cool thing that it has to offer because the Midwest, I think, gets a bad rap as being like a place that's not worth going to, but it actually is really beautiful and really worthwhile. And it it has humbled me in big ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that to the state tourism board. <laughs> <laughs> Christy literally like Christy's a real, also a realtor. She has like 12 jobs and she posted a house the other day in a point. I was like, I could just literally buy this house. Like I could just buy it. <laughs> like, and it looked like a nice house. <laughs> it is a nice house. Cause like I yeah. could, I wouldn't even have to get a loan. I could just well, buy it. I mean, let's be honest, like I'm okay with people overlooking the Midwest. Um, You know, I have been going down to Bentonville for many, many years and even going there, it gets me a lot because there's a lot of people there now. It's not, you know, I'm like, whew, this is a lot. Um, And for somebody that is arguably a bit of an introvert, which I don't think most people, you know, would necessarily use that word to describe me, but um, I, I need my space and Bentonville is really crowded. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. Like the first time I came down here for the first time in 2016, I think, uh-huh. and just seeing from then to now, and that's not even that time, but just that little bit, I'm like, whoa, it's pretty unrecognizable these days. Are you there? Are you in Bentonville proper? Or are you just outside of it or? No, I'm in Bentonville proper. Um, I live just across from the like regional airport, if you know where that is. Like not the not the airport for this area, but the private airport. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a nice area. Um, but yeah, you know, Bentonville, I could say a lot about it. I don't know how much you want me to say, but I have, you know, I have some some big issues I think with with it. I think it's a great place, but also, you know, I don't know if they've thought a lot about how they've grown and how they'll support the people that are here. Um, so I think that's, there's some work to be done for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, um, I lived in Atlanta before I moved out here. And when I visited Bentonville, it's rem- ironically, it reminded me some of Atlanta, even though Atlanta is a big city, right? But it's a big city. If you've ever been there, that's pretty, con- like if you're inside the perimeter within the city, not in the suburbs, it's pretty small. And then there's just not like infrastructure, like transportation, all the things for that many people to be coming in to an area, but they can still like just pack them in and there's big fortune 500 companies. And like Bentonville is a tiny little, like I drive around the roads and I'm like, these roads are so small and narrow, like all these people coming in and cars. And so anyway, 
Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is interesting. I think it's like teaching us a lot about what trails can do to a place for better or worse, but also I'm hoping we're learning some good lessons about what equitable trail development actually looks like um, for the future of our towns. Cause I think Bentonville might become a case study and what not to do in a lot of ways. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> And do you feel like that because it's it's only attracting a certain type of people? I think there, that, I think it's also, you know, it's like, and it's not, it's not Bentonville only, right? I think we see this in a lot of places. We see it in, you know, Crested Butte, Colorado is like the poster child for what not to do, right? Like you price people out and then it's like, well, who do you have to like serve you coffee? Or like, if you're going to have a an economy based on tourism, like I know firsthand what it's like to live in a town based on tourism. Like there are some major drawbacks. And I think you have to think about like, the common person, right? And like, if you're catering only to people who can afford million dollar homes, like you're screwed. <laughs> like you cannot sustain that in the long term. And I feel like I'm screaming into this void here where I keep trying to bring this up and get, get answers about like, what are we doing about affordable housing policy? Like, what are we doing about zoning? What are we doing about like public transportation? And and it's kind of like people look at you and scratch their head like it doesn't really matter. Like, oh, well. do you think it's because they haven't felt the effect of it yet, though? I mean, the other shoe hasn't dropped yet. So they're like, yeah, I think I'm sure that's some of, I'm sure. Right. I'm sure there's just a big disconnect between the people who are actually going to be affected and the people who make the decisions. Um, and I also think, you know, they're still riding a high of like being this place that wants to continue attracting people here. And I think that's great. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't a way to have to have all of that. I just think when you start losing, you know, people who like kind of make the town what it is, that's kind of a problem, right? Like the first week I was here, I overheard, you know, my postal worker talking to somebody about how they're going to have to move out of Bentonville. And this was like, a 60 year old woman who's lived here for probably like 30 years and she delivers our mail and she can't live in the town that she delivers mail in. Like, that's a problem to me. Um, like I don't, that doesn't make me feel good about being a mountain biker. If that's what we're doing to people, you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's so hard. It's such a hard, I'm, I would be a terrible city planner. I'd be like, just do this. <laughs> To live your healthiest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health, like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. 
So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit InsideTracker.com slash feisty. That's InsideTracker.com slash feisty. Well, speaking of advocating for people, you have done quite a lot and you sound like you're a very busy person. You own an organization called Pedal to the People. Yeah. And you're the executive director of All Bikes. Welcome. Um, I don't know if those are connected or if you found both of those. And you also founded a mountain bike festival. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. uh, I don't recommend starting a lot of things. And then um, I would say I probably... Uh, I get really jazzed on things and I'm like, okay, I'm going to like do all these things. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. Um, Well, I, yes. So I didn't found the mountain bike festival. My board chair founded the mountain bike festival and then um, wrote some grants to expand into this full nonprofit um, called All Bikes Welcome. And I've helped launch that. And, and this is like our first year of operation. Um, and the goal is with the nonprofit is, I mean, really at the heart of it, we're trying to, as you kind of alluded to, um, support more racial equity and gender diversity in cycling. Um, but our, the way we're trying to do that is by providing like free and low cost programming in this area. Um, and then the mountain bike festival fits into that as being like our annual fundraiser, Um, and kind of annual celebration of that work. And so it's Grit Mountain Bike Festival. We just had our first one since 2019. Um, And it was so great. It was an incredible success. Um, We had about 75 people from like 15 different states um, come here. And um, we had 10 people who had never ridden a mountain bike before. Which oh, wow. I, I know. I was like, that's brave. I would never go to a mountain bike festival having never ridden a mountain bike. But that's our goal is to support, you know, that beginner base of riders who maybe have ridden a bike before but never have tried mountain biking because it hasn't mm-hmm. felt safe or mm-hmm. supportive. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. And this was the first year that we we really changed our language around who we want to support. And so we um, welcomed in um, trans men and women, cis women and non-binary folks. So really trying to focus on that gender expansive piece. Um, And yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm still riding the high of that weekend. It was just so beautiful. Tell us how the, how you ended up founding Pedals of the People, because did you found that when you were still in uh, Minnesota? Yeah, I found it. So in 2018, so I was living in Minnesota. I moved there in 2015, 2015. and um, I was in grad school. And like grad school, I feel like I always say it's one of those things where I'm glad I finished, but if I could go back, I probably wouldn't do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it took a lot out of me and it was a really, like admittedly living in Minnesota and in Minneapolis, for the six years I, six years, yeah, six years I did was really challenging and um, just a lot happened. And, you know, and then being like working on a PhD at the same time, like would not recommend. Um, but I was writing and a lot to try, you know, to help with my mental health. And, and I just, 
was feeling really disillusioned because there just weren't a lot of folks of color I was meeting. And I finally started meeting people online, um, you know, like doing that thing your parents tell you not to, like talking to strangers online. Um, and it was really great because it was like the first time I was meeting other folks of color. And they were, you know, a lot of people I was talking to all were also feeling very kind of isolated and like they didn't have a lot of community around cycling. And so I um, put together this project with two other friends um, to come and ride in Minnesota. And they were two other um, folks of color. And after that trip, one of the people um, who was there, Eric and I started talking about like, we should create this group and we could tell stories, we could talk about like our experiences of cycling and we could like really provide a space where people could find each other and, you know, create groups to ride with and whatever. And so in 2019, we launched that. And, and it was awesome. I mean, and it's still ongoing. We're still like kind of trying to figure out how we want to bring this into like a more um, contemporary context. But it was really cool. I think one of the coolest things about Puddles to the People was um, like, I would approach somebody like, oh, can I interview you? Can I tell your story? And a lot of times people would be like, well, sure, but I don't really have a lot to say. Yeah. Talking to them and they have these incredible stories of like the, their relationship to cycling and like what it's done for them or what their experiences have been. And so just being in a position where like you can empower people to really own their narrative and be like, no, like your story is really incredible. Like, I would love to hear you share that more um, has been really rewarding and I think has really inspired me to own my own narrative and my own story a lot more. Um, and so it feels like this really cool, like reciprocal relationship with the project. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I'm really, it's cool to see how much it's grown. <laughs> yeah. Where do you find those stories? Um, just honestly building relationships and yeah. reaching out to people. Um, a lot of it is like, you know, nowadays there's, you know, it, you have to kind of imagine like 2018, 2019, like there wasn't a lot of the visibility there is now for like folks of color and cycling, um, especially online. Like there was no one <laughs> like there, there were very few, I shouldn't say there was no one, but there were very few specifically like out there like very you know and so it was a lot of like digging meeting people trying to meet people in person um you know like pre-pandemic it was a lot of like hey i'm gonna be in this city like who's there who do you know is around um and kind of doing it word of mouth you know now it's it's a lot easier like there are hashtags or accounts or groups that just didn't exist you know before 2020 and so that's helped a lot and i also think it's like been really cool to see i mean i it, i just never thought i'd see the day <laughs> you know like my whole 10 years 10 plus years in cycling i just did not think that would happen did the pandemic play into that i think so i mean it was a lot of things i mean obviously there was you know the pandemic i think people were just a lot more online <laughs> mm -hmm. um you know and i think 
also because we were all feeling so isolated there was a necessity to like find community and find people and then of course there was like the big bike boom and the outdoor boom of like more people just being on bikes um which was really great and then i think you know of course the like uprising in minneapolis that catapulted this huge conversation around you know race and i think that helped a lot um in terms of like having people start to really like take a look at their lives and the people they interact with and thinking about like why don't i see more black and brown people like in cycling you know if you're a cyclist or elsewhere if you are in other spaces just the outdoor yeah. space in general yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask, cause I did notice on your Instagram, you were obviously in Minnesota when um, the George Floyd killing happened. And it seemed like that had a pretty profound impact on you. Um, how have you processed that? Like has the bike helped with that or like, did it, your community, that having that community help? Like, yeah, no, that's a really great question. I'm glad you asked that. Cause it, um, you know, like I said, like the six years, cause it wasn't just, George Floyd, like before right. that, there, there were so I mean, I was there for like the six years that was probably like the worst of it, um, in a lot of ways, because it was just so um, in your face. And I mean, it was I feel like I talk about this sometimes, but I mean, it felt like I was living in a war zone. And I don't really mean to minimize the impact of like what, you know, a militarized war zone is like, but I think there there's a lot that people that weren't there didn't see like you know there wasn't you know it was like george floyd's murder and then you know that whole summer there were something like 180 structure fires in the city and you know for two weeks like everything was boarded up and i got my groceries in a parking lot at, from mutual aid and you know and then after that for the trial you know, there were tanks, like military tanks that occupied like street corners that I like lived on. And <laughs> I'm trying not to get emotional. It It's like still really painful to think about because it was really terrifying. And also, um, I think it was probably the first time I lost hope. And I'm not somebody that goes there and visits that place often. Um, and I think like, cycling really did save me for those six years I was there because it helped me, it helped remind me that there was beauty in the world, you know, especially mountain biking, because I could, you know, kind of escape the city. I had the privilege to escape the city and see other parts of Minnesota that reminded me that it wasn't all like doom and gloom. Um, and I also think, you know, and I think that brings up this idea of like the concept of radical joy, like that you're gonna still, you know, like, especially for folks of color, black folks, and really marginalized folks in general, like this idea that you're gonna choose joy in the midst of all of that is really radical because I felt it firsthand. Like, it is so easy to see all of that happen and be like, every year for six years, something like George Floyd happened in Minneapolis. And then it wasn't just that it ended with him, right? Like, and then it was after that. And, and, and to see that and think like, it's, it's hopeless. And so to decide, like, I'm gonna 
choose to experience joy in the midst of that is both a privilege, but also I think necessary um, if you want to keep doing this work. Because it's easy to get like really bogged down by how much needs to change and the speed with which it isn't <laughs> changing. Well, and I, I mean, I would, I would honestly say, Rachel, you were in a war zone. Um, not it, 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 I wouldn't diminish that statement at all with a qualification of anything because I mean, there's a, there's a, an expectation of, of, of safety that we would expect. Mm -hmm. And that was not there. And I would argue it's still not there. No, I always, I always tell people the Wikipedia page for the racial uprising in Minneapolis says June of 2020 to ongoing. And I very much stand by that. Like I, I have like survivor's guilt from leaving because, but I had, and, and it, and the other thing about it, like I had to leave because I got to a point where I had such fear of leaving my house. Like I wasn't riding my bike. I wasn't doing things because I was terrified to leave my house. Like, and I know that that hap has happened and continues to happen to people there. Like it, yeah, it needs a lot of help as a lot of places do. And it will always have a special place in my heart. And I love that place, you know. I was up there earlier this summer. Um, and really just being down in down in downtown Minneapolis, like the friend I was with had had an app that would tell you like stuff that was going on, you know, close by. And he was like, we were sitting at dinner. He's like, oh, there was a stabbing 900 yards from here. Mm. And, you know, I'm it's hard. I mean, I don't know what you sat with and lived with when you were through there, but just like that one evening was enough, you know, for me. And, and, and to sit there and realize like, I, I know there's, <laughs> there's just so much. And you're right. It's that whole concept of radical joy. That's just such a great way to put it because that's literally choosing joy in that space is so hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have to remind myself, like, okay, I got through that. So, like, <laughs> should be a piece of cake, right? <laughs> yeah, give me that extra large mountain bike. I can ride it now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's a lot, but. Yeah, but I think everything, you know, I really feel like I did, I did not have, like, you know, for for context, I did not have like an easy peasy life up to that either. Like I had a really, really tough upbringing. And I, you know, the, the big backstory of me is, um, you know, I'm, I'm adopted and I'm a transracial adoptee and my family are white and, you know, they're conservative Trumpers, like, you oh, know, God. yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I always, you know, I always say, um, so Nevada became a state during the Civil War. So the nickname is Battleborn. And I feel like that's always resonated with me. Like, that's how I feel about myself. Like, I think I'm kind of like forged in battle, you know, and that makes me feel really strong and like capable. <laughs> yeah. 
do you feel like you're you're not supported by your family when they have those strong political leanings like it's it's interesting it ebbs and flows I think you know at the end of the day I do genuinely feel like we love each other um to the best that we can you know I think it's it's tough I see where they are you know I mean I I kind of joke like I was raised as a poor white person like that they do fall into that demographic I mean we you know, growing up had very little. And, you know, I, and my, you know, my dad works blue collar, like construction labor, you know, and I think sometimes the best you can do is just see somebody and like be, try to understand, like, I see where you are, I see where you're coming from. And I understand that you're misguided you know, and I'm sure he feels the same way about me, you know, like, I'm sure he's like, yeah, I don't know, I think she's misguided. But, you know, it's, I don't have an answer to how to do it. And I, you know, I get that question a lot. I think all I know to do is to just keep loving him where he is. And sometimes that's all you can do is love people where they are. Because you can't, you, you know, you say, you know, that saying, it's like, you can't hate yourself into a better version of you well the same goes for others you can't hate people into better versions of them you know and so I try to encourage like you know when I hear something that he's done that I'm like oh you know like that was really I noticed that you showed kindness to that person like I you know I see that and I, that was really cool or like you know hey like the kindness I have for others you know I learned that from you like you know like that stuff because mm -hmm at the end of the day, you still are a product of your upbringing and you can't like run from it, you know? Yeah. I feel like we've also gotten to the point where we make everybody all good or all bad. It's like, every there's not like everybody's a mix of good and bad. Exactly. It's, it's that like both and right. Yeah. Like that's such <laughs> a concept that we really struggle with as people. And you know, not to get too into the theory, but it that's a, you know, this idea of either or is a, as a white supremacist construct at the end of the day, because like, as you said, like people aren't all good or all bad, you know, and places aren't all good or all bad, or things aren't all good or all bad. It's just both and, and we have to learn how to sit with, with that and know that there is no resolution. Like you can't put it in a box. It just is both. <laughs> Damn, I like that both and. Yeah. yeah that's what I always say when people ask me like oh do you like Bentonville it's like I always say both and like <laughs> I love it and also it needs work <laughs> yeah well sometimes everything is like that's where we get extremism right when it's like you can't see the and like in that political environment of Trump like people could like mm -hmm. I know that there are people and and parts of America that felt heard and seen for the first time right right and they but the, it was like all like the savior no no seeing any of the bad right right yep it's real i'm not really like i was like i don't know if you noticed but like i'm an intense person so <laughs> i was like i hope you're ready you may want that happy now I, I i think that you're an intense person with incredibly soft edges oh yeah thank you because i feel that way too <laughs> well there you go you're you you you're nailing it so um i mean you know that none of the conversations conversations are easy 
Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not important. And, you know, it's, I think that whole concept of the both and is just like, we've got to get there somehow or another. Um, and I personally think the bike is a great way to do it. (laughs) Go for a bike ride, you know? Exactly. Cause it's like your bike ride can be both like so helpful and necessary and also like in the moment it can suck a lot like i've been on so many rides where i'm like this is not going well but you're usually pretty like but also you're usually pretty glad you got out like you know i rarely have regretted being on my bike you know so i definitely think so holding two truths that's what i say yeah Yeah. and also the space to build relationships with people that are different yeah you right like I remember Abby Robbins um was telling us about being at Unbound Camp and they were like the film crew was following them around and they were like I was riding with a super conservative Christian and at some point he's like well you should know I'm a super conservative Christian I was like well there's something you should know about me and they were like we had like three hours of this amazing conversation that we would have never had you know oh that's good that's good to hear yeah I think especially you know, like I always say, like, you got to find where your like soft spots are like your sore spots, and then like your blind spots. And like, usually your sore spots are like those places where you feel like you're marginalized, right? Whether that's your gender or your race or your ability or your body type. And then those places where you're able to advocate are those places where, um, you know, you, you can certainly advocate from places that are sore spots. But I also think like those places where you're not directly affected by things can really be helpful to lean into because I don't know, I have more energy for things that don't directly affect me. You know, I can like say, have a conversation with somebody and not get super heated because I'm not directly affected by this. Like I care about it, but at the end of the day, you're not affecting me or something I stand for. Um, So I don't know, I think, yeah. It is good. And you can also, I think like, I used to hear a lot people would be like, it would happen a lot in climbing. Like climbers are just so great. Like the climbing community is just so different. Climbers are like a different type of person. They're so great. Like everybody's so good. And I'd be like, yes. And also like climbing is just a segment of the rest of the population. Like you have people who care about the same things you do and advocate and, you know, for the most part, you're aligned and then you have people who aren't (laughs) because that it's just a segment. Right. So the nice thing I think is like, we all have to work just where we are and like bikes just happen to be the thing I'm working in, but it's not necessarily different from, you know, the bikes are just the common denominator. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We asked people where we're going to see them for the rest of the year, but we know 2023, the door is pretty much closed on things. So what's, what's 2022? What's 2022, Catherine? Whenever. <laughs> We're not I don't even know what year it is. Um, what's next? Well, I'm going to Rome Fest Sedona. I'm pretty excited about that. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm stoked. Ash and Andy have been super, super supportive of Grit Fest and um, the work that I've been doing. So I'm really, I'm going to volunteer and I'm excited to like help them out behind the scenes. Um, and then I'm actually putting together, I'm working right now on this bike packing trip. So I want to go, I want to do the AZT 
but I want to ride sections of it with different people. Um, and I'm trying to put together this project about kind of what I'm calling the anti-hero's journey, because I feel like we have this obsession with like loneliness and outdoors and like, you know, going and conquering on our own. And I want to do this project where it's like, actually, I'm going to do it with as many people as I can. Um, and people like who have never bike packed that are going to ride like 10 miles of it with me. And then like people who are, you can join. I'm like, seriously, I think I'm really excited to see it come together. Um, so I'm aiming for that in the spring. And then I'm going to mountain bike race next year. I'm going to put gravel racing down for a bit. Um, and I'm actually going to do some 24 hour stuff and some 12 hours. That's kind of my, I like that. I always, I am a night owl. So I feel like that stuff really caters to me and very few things in the outdoor world cater to people who are night owls. <laughs> so I'm taking advantage of that. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to, to race mountain bikes again. <laughs> Perfect. Amazing. And maybe we're going to see you in Bentonville at our gravel festival. Yeah. We got to have some chats still. Yeah. <laughs> so. I would love that. Yes. I'll ride a gravel bike for y'all. Nice. <laughs> Thanks. We do. Last year we did take people out on the mountain bike trails to teach them how to ride some single track on yep. their gravel bikes. Cause there are a lot of events that have single track in them. And you will get this from me all the time. Any bike is a gravel bike. So you can ride your mountain bike. I don't care. Cool. I may do that. I have raced some gravel races on a hardtail and it was, yeah. it was so fun. It was it's so, so fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. And I was never scared. That's the nice thing. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are definitely a little more suited to a hardtail. Right. A exactly. um, cool. Well, where, you have a lot of Instagram handles. Where's the best place for people? Cause you do a lot of things. Where's the best place for people to find you? They can find me um, at rachel.olzer. Uh, and from there, they can find all the things. Put all your handles there. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Rachel. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.